Welcome everybody to our prayer experience, Ascent. Today, we're gonna take a journey through the Psalms, ascending the hill of the Lord, desiring to grow closer to Him. Now we believe that you joined us today because you have that desire. You want to grow closer to your Heavenly Father. You want to know Him more and understand His love for you. So set aside anything that might distract you during this time. Focus in and just spend this next hour with the Lord. You have an opportunity to journal and to pray and just soak in God's presence. And we pray that you will enjoy your time with the Lord and grow closer in your relationship with Him on the ascent. We hope you'll have a great climb. Christened by Charles Spurgeon as the Psalm of Ascent, Psalm 24 begins with two questions for those approaching the God of Israel. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? For those who heard these words, this was a literal question. Were they physically and spiritually prepared to ascend Mount Zion in Jerusalem to reach the sanctuary of God? For you and I, who enjoy the new covenant relationship with God, we know we can worship God wherever we are. Yet for us, the question the psalmist asks can take on another significance. The appeal can be metaphorical. Who is ready to ascend to God in worship, to know His will and to know His heart? Who wants to experience His presence, to fellowship with Him so intimately? We serve a God who can be known. We can have a personal relationship with Him. And these questions beckon back to the listener. Are you ready to ascend the hill of God and worship Him? Yet the psalmist is careful. He has an air of respect and awe to this King of glory. This is why he poses the questions, who could even have the courage to know God so intimately? Who could possibly be worthy of such a pursuit to the very heart of God? Is there anyone who would be allowed to ascend to the very summit of his presence? It is possible, yes. But the approach is critical. The answer to the psalmist questions teach us there seems to be a right way and a wrong way to climb. Well, thankfully for us, the psalmist gives us four indicators of the type of person who can ascend. Listen to what he writes. The one who has clean hands, those are right actions, and a pure heart, the right attitude, who does not lift his soul to what is false, ah, the right pursuit, and, and does not swear deceitfully, uh, using the right words. It, it seems the standards to meet God are high. The, the good news for us is that even when we have failed to live up to these standards, there is one who has, Jesus Christ. Child of God, because of your union with Christ, you are qualified to ascend to the King of glory. So we want to invite you using the word ascent as an acronym of prayer. Make the journey with us as we seek to know God more closely. We'll start with adoration, recognizing the greatness and the majesty of who God is. Sanctuary, finding Him as our safe haven, praying for protection. Confession, coming before Him in humility and repentance, seeking a pure heart before Him. Entreat, asking Him for our needs, making petition to Him and our desires. 
nourishment, as He provides relief when we feel spiritually dry. And lastly, thanksgiving, as we complete our ascent by giving Him thanks for what He has done. <laughs> Psalm 24 says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. We welcome you to ascend the hill of God, to spend time in prayer, to soak in His truth, to set all distractions aside, and grow closer to your Heavenly Father. He says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. This next time together that we have, as we journey up this hill, I pray it'll be a time where you feel God draw close to you in this wonderful journey, the ascent up the hill of God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? As we begin our ascent to God in prayer, the first step is adoration. We are praising our God for who he is and all he has done and continues to do for us every day. When we begin our prayers in adoration, we put our minds and hearts exclusively on God and take the focus off of ourselves, our problems, and our anxieties. We have to really work on adoration. It does not come easily to often self-centered people like you, and me. My favorite psalm for adoring my God is Psalm 19. It begins by recognizing the magnificent power and the majestic beauty of our Creator God. The heavens declare the glory of God and the earth shows His handiwork. Friends in Christ, at morning, noon, or night, when we look at the sky or the land or the sea, the adoring believer marvels at God who declares or screams his omnipotence. The next time you look at a beautiful waxing crescent moon, let it scream to you of God's power. When you see his foamy waves storming the beach, then obediently receding, it is God's boasting of his glorious strength. In adoration, we focus on God, whose power and grace works in our lives each day. The psalmist continues by screaming out the truth of God's written word. The law of the Lord is perfect, redeeming the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, redeeming the heart. 
focused attention on the reading, study, and obedience to God's Word changes hearts and draws us closer to the God we adore. God even blesses us for that priority by adding, in keeping His Word there is great re reward. We adore a holy God who wants to mold our character to be like His. The last verse is an all-time favorite of a good friend of mine. Psalm 1914 says that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He'll be watching this video and he won't speak to me if I mention his name. Yet his life reflects the character of God and did not come naturally. It comes by hard work each day in the word and in prayer. His life is the proper response to a loving God who passionately screams to him, let me build your life. Are you ready to respond to God's strong voice desiring to refine you? Could Psalm 1914 become a favorite verse of yours? Can I pray for you? Father in heaven, I just thank you that you want us to take the attention off of ourselves, the focus off ourselves and put it on you. Father, you know the importance of our lives being focused upon you and your power and your might and your majesty and your strength for every day and upon the truth of your word. And also, Lord, upon your desire to build our character. Lord, I pray that we would allow you to refine our hearts each day. Take the focus off ourselves, Lord, and may we put it upon you as we adore you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. It's time for you to begin your journey up the mountain of God. Start by focusing all of your attention on the God you are seeking. Psalms 121 through 134 are known as the Ascent Psalms. I would encourage you to read some of them during this time. Maybe turn to Psalm 121 and take a few moments to read it. And in the margin of the Psalm, write a prayer of adoration to God as the Lord who made heaven and earth. Enjoy this time of adoration.
A sanctuary is a hiding place, a place of refuge, safety, and rest. The author of Psalm 34, King David, often sought out the Lord in times of trouble and when he needed a hiding place. Now, even though David's troubles were on a different level than us, our God is still his God. His hiding place can be our hiding place. Psalm 34 has become a sanctuary for me. Verse eight says, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. As the days drew near for my surgery last August, I began to experience a restlessness in my heart and mind. Was this really a good idea? What if something goes wrong? What if this and what if that? Two days before the surgery, the Lord brought Psalm 34:4 to mind and my soul immediately found a sanctuary. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 34, one has also become a place of refuge for me. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless him because he knows all things and is in control of everything. I will bless him because he is working all things together for good. I will bless him whatever happens in my life, in what he has allowed to happen, and nothing happens by chance. I will bless him because he is my sanctuary. And I will bless the Lord at all times, in the good and the bad, in the quiet and in the storm, when I'm healthy and when I am ill. In joy and in sorrow, I will bless the Lord. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. The praise which belongs to him alone because of who he is and simply because he is. His praise shall continually be in my mouth, even in the darkest night, when my soul is troubled and cast down, when I don't know what's next, when afflictions surround me and the enemy is in hot pursuit, even then will I praise him. Friend, I'd like to pray for you now. Father, I pray for the one listening today who's going through a dark time in their life. They're being afflicted, Lord, whether it's financial or relational or some other struggle. Lord, I pray that through the words of this Psalm, that you would comfort them, that you would draw them to yourself and that you would be their sanctuary, their hiding place. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As we continue our climb, we are reminded of how dangerous life can be at times. We're surrounded by tension, bombarded by fear, anxiety, even stress. We need a place to find refuge and rest. Many have found Psalm 34 to be a great anchor of refuge. Over the next few minutes, simply relax and be still before the Lord. Take this time to listen to the music, be reminded of his promises, or even reflect on your past and how he's been so faithful to you. You may wanna take this time to offer up prayers for protection, for continued safety, for the ones you love who might be in harm's way. 
Enjoy this time of sanctuary. Our next step in ascending to God is a topic that we may neglect more than we like to admit, and that's confession. When Martin Luther nailed the famous 95 Theses to the church doors in Wittenberg in 1517, do you know what the very first of those statements was? All of life is repentance. He was right. Confession and repentance are foundational to a right relationship with a holy God. Now there may be no better place in scripture that describes this practice than one of David's most personal and vulnerable Psalms, Psalm 51. The heading of the Psalm suggests that Psalm 51 was composed at the low point of David's life after he had murdered Uriah and slept with Uriah's wife Bathsheba. Now broken over his sin, David composed a Psalm that provides us with a model for how we can approach a holy God, not pretending to be perfect, but standing openly and honestly before God in confession and repentance. 
Listen to how verse 1 begins. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Notice the very first thought on David's mind. Mercy from God comes not as a result of moral performance or enough time feeling miserable or the right sequence of religious acts. Mercy comes from God's steadfast love, from his abundant mercy. And this profound truth is borne out throughout the psalm as we find over and over that confession before God has power and is possible because of God's great love for us, his children. Child of God, maybe there's some lingering sin in your life, habits that are breaking you, secrets that are just below the surface, patterns of failure or some wrong that's hanging over your head. Read through Psalm 51 and find a God that offers forgiveness and grace to the one who confesses and repents. Find a God who, because of his steadfast love and abundant mercy, desires a restored relationship with you. You may be watching this video feeling discouraged because of something you've done in the past. I love what author Jack Miller used to say, cheer up, you're worse than you think, but you're more loved than you know. God is far more aware of the depths of your sinfulness than even you are, yet he loves you still. Why not speak to him in prayer right now? Let me pray for you. Father, there isn't a person listening who hasn't had sin in their life that they needed to confess. Lord, in the past, maybe they have covered that sin up. Maybe they've hidden it. Maybe they've justified it. Maybe they've ignored it. But I pray, Lord, even in this moment, that right now they would humble themselves and confess that sin to you. Lord, I know that you will receive them because of your steadfast love and your abundant mercy. So Lord, I pray that you would meet them in their weakness, that you would restore them to fellowship, and that by the power of your spirit, you would empower them to live in obedience to your will. In Jesus' name I pray for them, amen. We've been reminded that God desires a pure heart. As believers, we are positionally forgiven, but as children, we can be relationally distant from God. Let's pause on the hillside and bow our knees in confession. Using Psalm 51 as a guide for your prayer, if you're physically able, why not get down on your knees and confess any sin that comes to your mind? You will find spending time on your knees to be a wonderful position of prayer that just expresses our humility and dependence for the Lord's abundant grace. In your journal, in the margin, maybe tell God how you feel after confessing your sin.
Welcome to the entreatment portion of our prayer. Another word similar to entreatment is petition, and it's the kind of prayer that probably occupies most of the space in our prayers. When we entreat God or petition Him, we're more than just asking. We're expecting action from God about something we care about, and we're concerned about it, so we're hoping God does something. Psalm 39 is just that, a prayer that asks God for peace while the author struggles with the rough nature of life. And here are just a few items that the author asks for or entreats God for. Remind me of how brief my life is. Rescue me from my rebellion. Do not let fools mock me. Stop striking me. Hear my prayer. Leave me alone. And that's not the kind of prayer I'd set as a background for my phone, but it would describe what I want from God when I'm angry or overwhelmed. And right in the middle of this psalm, the author writes to God and says, And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. Now, that's perfect. When I don't like what I'm going through or what I'm in the middle of, Jesus is my only way forward. So let's ask God to act on our behalf with the expectation that he's listening and answering. Let me pray for you in this moment. Father, we care about a lot of things. And if we're not careful, we'll just rush around like the psalmist says. We'll look around at things out of focus and miss the point of living. So God, redeem us in our little moments. Uh, help us to see how finite and temporary we are. And God, I pray that our eyes would focus on the things that are ever so important in your kingdom, which is forever. Lord, we love you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So often, we spend time praying for ourselves, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yet, what if you took this time to intercede for another? Intercession is praying for someone else. Consider writing a prayer for a prodigal, a hurting heart, a broken relationship, our nation, or even the lost. Let this be a time when you pray for something that has been heavy on your heart and make your petition to him. Entreat him during this time.
As we continue our journey after God's own heart, the next aspect of prayer we'll highlight today is nourishment. Spiritual nourishment is not something that we can gain through a formula, but instead is a natural product of soaking in God's truth, spending time in His presence. You see, the more intimate and honest our time with God is, the more nourished and the more known we will feel. God describes David as someone after his own heart, and it's clear that David sought God's presence with passion and devotion. And the effect of that can be seen in the Psalms that David penned. Maybe you find yourself today in a particularly dry and weary time. Today, maybe the struggles of this life have been weighing heavy on your shoulders and you need to be nourished by the Lord. Listen to the words of David in Psalm 63 when he writes, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You see, David is confessing his need for God, comparing his thirst to God, to someone's thirst who is thirsting for water in a waterless land, in a desert. This begs the question, how do we thirst for God? Do we thirst for God? Is there a longing there for refreshment and nourishment that we can find only in the source of life and fulfillment? See, it's only in God's presence that our souls will be quenched. In verse 3, David makes a bold statement about God's steadfast love for his people. He writes this. He says, because your steadfast love is better than life. That's a big statement. What if our understanding of God's love was so transformative that we could actually say we would rather die than live without it? That's where David's praise comes from. That kind of love nourishes the soul. But not only does God nourish our souls, He protects and He upholds us. Verse 7 says this, For you have been my help. For in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. I can't help but think of my own children when I read this. My one-year-old son, he's a little explorer filled with enthusiasm. And he loves to run around and just enjoy nature. But often, I have to hold his hand. You see, there's times when a child is excited and wants to run, but needs a loving father to hold their hand and keep them up when they run into unstable ground. That's the kind of father that you have. Seek him, thirst for him, cling to him in times of uncertainty, and trust him to hold you up with the strength of his hands, the same hands that formed the universe. Let me pray for you today, that God would nourish your souls and remind you that He is your helper. Heavenly Father, we pray for those who are taking part in this ascent, Lord. For those watching, those listening, God, would you nourish their souls today? Would you allow them to be filled up? Would you allow them to be reminded of, of the love that you have for them, God? Would you give them a passion to dive into your truths, God, a passion to spend time in your, your presence. And Lord, would you allow them to leave feeling refreshed and nourished when they do. Thank you for your love, God. May we cling to it. We love you, God. Amen.
If we're honest with ourselves, the journey sometimes gets very hard and we can find ourselves in a very dry spot. Maybe there's been a time in your life when you were simply exhausted and in need of renewal. When circumstances seek to flood our feelings, reminders of God's faithfulness must wash over any doubt. Take this time to read Psalm 139. Look through the Psalm. Make note of all those personal pronouns, I and my, and maybe write your name above them. Reread the Psalm in prayer with your name in it and be reminded of his love for you. Enjoy this time of nourishment.
Thanksgiving is the bold declaration of the goodness of God. And I say bold because sometimes it feels like life can just wring the thankfulness out of you. This COVID-19 pandemic has brought difficult and discouraging things into our lives, and sometimes it's all we can think about. But thankfulness stands up in the middle of all that and says, yes, God is good. In fact, this is what uh, Psalm 100 declares. Um, the psalmist writing to God's people says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. So when we come into God's presence, we come thanking him. Uh, why should we do this? The psalmist answers that question. Verse five says, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. When we look at our lives, we can see the good hand of God on many tangible things, relationships that we have, our jobs, clothes, church, lots, lots of stuff. God has given us many blessings to be thankful for, but we most clearly see the goodness and the steadfast love of God for us in Jesus. We deserve condemnation and death, but God loves us so much that he sent his son to bear that judgment. He gave us eternal life with him. He adopted us as his children and he gave us his spirit through whom we receive direction and strength for our lives. Our salvation becomes a continual source of, of thankfulness for us, no matter what life throws our way. So would you pray with me? I'd like to pray that God fills our hearts with a thankful spirit. Let's pray together. God, we have so much to be thankful for. You bless us in so many ways, and particularly you've blessed us in Christ and the salvation that we enjoy through him. God, I pray that you would fill us with the spirit of thankfulness. We, may we be known as a people who are thankful because our God is so good to us and has blessed us so greatly. Father, thank you so much for Jesus and the joy that he brings us, the future that he gives us. In your name, amen. Let's take the time to be thankful by counting our blessings. In the margin of Psalm 100, or maybe in a journal page, make a list of the blessings in your life. Ponder the attributes of God. Consider the strengths of your spouse, mom, dad, or even children. What has he provided? What has he spared you from enduring? How many blessings could you write down in three minutes? Hurry up, the timer has started.
You did it. You arrived at the end of the climb. And when it comes to seeking the Lord, you've probably already noticed that the joy isn't found at arriving at a destination, but in the process of the journey. You see, the very point of the climb was to demonstrate that God is not just on the mountaintop, but with you all along the way, in times of worship, times of danger, times of failure, times of weariness, and yes, in times of thanksgiving. He is our faithful shepherd, our loyal guide all along life's journey. We need him so desperately, and that's why it's imperative we spend these extended times with him in prayer. After all, one of the main points of prayer is not to get God to align to our will, but to get us to align our will to His. And this is a process, at times a difficult one. And this journey that we traverse on this life demands so much strength that only He can provide. See, we pray this prayer experience inspires you to climb again. It was Andrew Murray who once said, let it be your business every day in the secrecy of the inner chamber to meet the holy God, you will be repaid for the trouble it may cost you. The reward will be sure and rich. Well, we pray you will be rewarded for this journey with a renewed faith leading to right actions, a renewed mind leading to right attitudes, a renewed assurance leading to the right pursuits, an encouraged heart leading to right words. Thank you for taking this time for this prayer experience. We trust you were renewed by the ascent. And we hope you will not only climb again, but to continue to climb the high hill of the Lord.